Welcome to Rally Rights Radio on the 15th of May 2014. Um, I've been away for a couple of weeks on the on the Monday show particularly, uh, just been a bit busy with other stuff, but um, we're back on track again with uh, Alan Watt for his regular monthly slot. Uh, you there, Alan? Yeah, I'm here. Right. Um, I sent Alan an email about a little book I, I picked up a couple of weeks ago when I was down visiting my parents in Devon. I, t- I tell you, if uh, anybody's looking for second-hand books, uh, Devon's the place. There's certainly uh, some nice little shops there and you can pick up some real bargains. I think I've got uh, 20 books for 18 quid. Uh, and they're, they're all they're all of, of this kind of ilk, 1940s and you know stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, well worth going down there. But... Um, this, this little book I picked up is called Above All Nations, and it's basically a compilation of uh, some some of them actually letters that um, soldiers have sent home to their, their families and stuff from prisoner of war camps, uh, from hospitals. Um, there's some articles from the, the Times, uh, the Express, uh, all the, the the mainstream media at the time in the UK, um, from all all fronts in the war, from the, the Japanese, uh, the Pacific Front, um, Germany, from Italy. North Africa, all over the place. But um, yeah, just a, just a little one here, just to kind of give people a, a sense of what it's about. Um, the Furby, which is a ship, um, 4,869 tonnes, owned by the Ropner Shipping Company Limited, was sunk in the Atlantic. The master, Captain Prince, was informed the owners that he and the crew of 40 all got away and had landed safely. Four, however, had been injured by shells. The chief officer, Sir James Woodruff, uh, Mr James Woodruff, sorry, stated that the crew after taking to the boats, pulled alongside the German submarine, the commander of which was most considerate. Members of his crew handed nine loaves of black bread to the sunken ship's crew and three rolls of bandages for the injured men. Before they moved away, the commander sent an SOS to, to Mr Churchill at the Admiralty, giving the position where the sinking had occurred. After 13 hours in a heavy sea, the men were rescued by a destroyer. Now, there's, there's many other stories like this um, about uh, airmen from, from both sides having shot each other down and remained over the site of the the battle, as it were, um, to to allow ships and other aircraft to locate their their missing airmen in the sea um, at great risk to their own lives, obviously because they, they run, you know, some of them actually ran out of fuel and stuff and they had to ditch themselves. But um, it, it struck me that this would never ever happen today, uh, in in today's kind of modern warfare, where where people very very rarely even see their enemy. Uh, never mind. Um, you know, strike up a conversation with them, or or or, or indeed taken prisoner, um, for that matter. And we're, we're seventy five years away um, from the start of the Second World War, more or less. Um, there's a, a bit of an argument about the exact date it started, but uh, we're more or less there. And you know, I, I wanted to ask you, Alan, what has happened in seventy five years? Because I, I I just can't imagine this happening now. Uh, I can't even imagine these kind of um, letters or articles even appearing in the media. Um, there's, there's a lot has changed, obviously not just in the the psyche of the people themselves, but in the the whole of society. Um, whereby, as I say, I, I can't imagine uh, articles like this or even acts acts of bravery or compassion like this ever happening in the theatre of war in, in modern times. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't happen because uh, it, was, it was no mistake in fact. There's only one little part of it. There's a whole bunch of different areas of this, but this one part was that uh, even during the American Civil War, uh, they found out only about 15% of the soldiers who were dead on battlefields actually had fired their muskets. And from, from this, the U.S. began studies to find out why. 
And, of course, the reason why they found out is it's not natural for folk to kill people they don't know for no re- re- real reason. It's not, an act, it's not an act of the moment and passion or something like that or hate or something. And, therefore, uh, it's very few folk will actually go ahead and do it. Um, they carried these studies on until World War II uh, and found out a lot of troops were firing over the heads of their, their targets on all sides. And, but before World War II, they tried to up the ante a bit by, by causing a dehumanization with their propaganda in a, in a fashion that would uh, belittle the humanity or the human aspect of their enemy. In other words, dehumanize your enemy. By World War II, it was almost complete in some countries. And uh, certainly, it's all gone today, in fact, because you have a whole generation raised on video games that were actually meant to desensitize military personnel so they'd kill their target on sight, uh, which is what worked awfully, awfully well. But going back to about before World War II, you, you find um, quite often in World War I, uh, enemy pilots would land at the crash site, to follow a plane down that they'd shot down, and they'd land there and help the pilot out and take off again, things like that. So by uh, World War II, it was getting a bit more vicious, of course, because the propaganda was really being stepped up. And, um, uh, and in World War II, uh, Britain had already given the lectures at Sandhurst. I don't know if that's in the book or not, but Sandhurst was, uh, they had uh, top uh, scientific personnel who'd worked on the human psyche behaviorists, in other words. And they came up with the concept in the 1930s in Britain of total war. The next war would be total war, where uh, everybody was fair game. That was, a, that was the people, the public, factory workers, everything. And that's what brought on uh, the, 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 the bombing of, of Dresden, the firebombing, etc., uh, and the cities that produced things. So the, the general population were being targeted as fair game, uh, which again dehumanized the whole aspect of war. Because uh, and the troops or airmen would find out if their pilots were being, if their people at home were being bombed, they worked in factories and stores and housing schemes. Uh, then they'd hate the enemy even more, and uh, that helped to depersonalize them too. So a lot of psychology, big big units were developed in psychological warfare on how to make the, the, the personnel themselves, the fighting personnel, uh, more uh, apt to actually kill every target that came along their sight. And, to, and today it's absolutely perfect. We saw Fallujah, for instance, in Iraq, and it's come out from many, many inquiries or trickled out eventually, uh, that uh, the free fire zones uh, or free kill zones, anybody who was into that zone, it doesn't matter, it's a it's fair game that you, if you shoot them down, it doesn't matter if it's a man, woman, child, whatever, uh, of the local people there, uh, nothing can be done against you uh, legally at all. Uh, you have a free hand to kill whatever moves. And, of course, in Fallujah, the, ter- the order was to go out and make it an example. Uh, they were dragging out all the, the men of, that could be of military age and young guys who 15, 16, and so on. Anybody, in the mil- and just shooting them. That's what the U.S. troops were doing. And that's part of the reason they got them on so many drugs now today, too, is to, so that their higher emotional thinking and so on is countered by the, the aspect of the drugs knocking it out. They become blunted in affect, to call it and they kill everything that moves. But once they're out of the military, it comes back to haunt them, and so they, they still stay on about seven to up to nine drugs each uh, for, for the rest of their lives after, because the, the memories of what they've done conflict with their natural, uh, your natural instincts to get along with your fellow human beings. To do that, you must respect your human being. And I remember, too, in World War I, you look at the old black-and-white clips of World War I troops, of all sides, and you always see them getting prayers, etc., before they go into battle. 
Uh, we know in World War I, for instance, I think it was the Scots Greys and the German troops had a truce at Christmas time. And uh, it was an unofficial truce, but this is what's the point in killing each other on Christmas time. And they went across the, into the no man's land and they both shared drinks and exchanged little presents and things until it was actually the English guns opened up and started shooting at them again. I know that because my grandfather was one of them. He was there. And anyway, uh, that was a natural humanity to man. That's how you are, really, when you realize that you're all the same, basically. You're all being ordered to go. If you, if you decide not to kill people, you'll get shot as a traitor, you see. Uh, so what choice do you have in the matter? So they still try to bring your humanity in. But by World War II, as I say, in, in Sandhurst in England, uh, they were teaching t- the aspect of total war, where everybody, everybody who lives in that land is, is a complete target, man, woman, child, doesn't matter, uh, housing schemes, workers, doesn't, doesn't matter whatsoever. And that was also uh, taken to Germany in the 30s by a, a colonel, became general, uh, who taught the same stuff in the German side as well, but it all began from, from Sandhurst. Today, uh, with the massive propaganda, uh, 20-odd years of video games, kill your enemy, kill your enemy, and the perfection, the perfection through mainly entertainment, by the way, of dehumanization of enemies that you grew up with uh, is, per- is perfected. Uh, the youngsters today just want to kill. We've seen that with the leaked videos that came out when you saw the, the U.S. gunships mowing down journalists by mistake, uh, laughing at it, and they're excited as, as though they were shooting pigs in a barrel, which almost they were, you might say. So we've lost our human aspect. But in World War I, you saw them all praying before battles. Second World War, there was a bit of that went on because they were throwing their old cultural values that they all shared, by the way, out the window. And, and at this day and age, it's an atheistic society where we accept mass abortion. Uh, we accept, in fact, that most folk who have any uh, mental problems, uh, possibly Down syndrome, should be aborted. Most folk accept that. So as you do that, you actually dehumanize your own life, actually, and everybody else's life. And now we're going to euthanasia for the elderly and all the rest of it. This was always the goal of the big boys and who wrote about it in the early 1900s all through and have achieved it pretty well. We don't value life much at all today, except our own personal lives, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting what you were saying about the Blitz and uh, Dresden, because there's actually a, a story in here about that as well. Uh, and they did a survey in Britain, uh, in Coventry, I think it was, and, and possibly, I think it was Birmingham maybe, um, and they, they asked uh, the people there who'd been victims of uh, bombing if they'd like to... Um, you know, perpetrate the same bombing on their, their German enemies, in inverted commas. And the people who had been bombed said no. Uh, and they went to places that hadn't been bombed, and they said, oh, yeah, definitely. You know, let's mm-hmm. go bomb them. Because they, yes. they have no experience of it themselves and, and didn't understand the horrors of it. Uh, just being afflicted. Uh, not only that, the, the story came out, of course, eventually after the war, uh, that Churchill, because uh, they had the... the Venona code, they called it. They cracked the German code. They knew that Germans were to bomb Coventry that night. They knew for a few days in advance, and they did not evacuate. Rather than let the Germans then know that they obviously cracked the code, uh, they allowed them to be sacrificed. And as you know, Venona code is actually Novena. They took it from the the old Jesuits coding, and and so they called it Venona. But uh, uh, they had cracked the code and in sacrifice Coventry. So, as you say, the people themselves become fair game, including pawns in the game, uh, to keep secrecy intact. Yeah. yeah. 
And again, you, you mentioned the, the propaganda. I suppose back in the the First World War, in particular, and the, the Second World War, they didn't have the uh, the propagandists, if you like, didn't have the benefit of television. And a lot of these young lads would have gone off at what seventeen, eighteen years old, um, who who wouldn't have seen that much propaganda. So so perhaps you know they maintained some of their humanity when they went off because they hadn't been um, indoctrinated so much as uh, the soldiers nowadays. Um, who, as you yeah. say, I mean, it's it's everywhere. It's television. It's video games. It's um, you know, oh, it's, it's every every movie you get today. Uh, uh, I can remember things are very very symbolic, and they come out for a reason in movies. And big smash hits are definitely are highly symbolic, because we know the Pentagon funds an awful lot of them, completely in fact. And you go back to the old Star Wars movie. And it was very, very telling, because in Star Wars, all of the, the, the main troops were all faceless guys. They were dressed up in all this heavy armor. But there's no, there's no faces to them. So it's completely depersonalized. You were killing things, you see. And, it was, and shortly after that, out came the SWAT teams. And they, and they had television series on SWAT and all the rest of it, and, uh, and NYPD Blue and all these things, to get you used to the idea of SWAT teams. And then the, the heavy armor came in. And then the heavy, heavy armor with the troops, and then the black uniforms, which always signifies death. And this is always understood in military psychological warfare death, the black scares people. Uh, it's the authority, it's the hangman's uh, outfit, you know, the hood and the whole thing. And so now in all the movies, you see these guys coming in with face masks on uh, and, and black armor, covered in armor, looking very formidable. And that, these, these guys are really the Star Wars characters you're seeing there. They, they themselves are depersonalized, but they're on the winning team. Because every mo- one of these movies they put out with SWAT teams and, and all the different uh, alphabet soup agencies that they have are all dressed the same. Uh, they even have ones for the environment here in, in the U.S. now, by the way. They have their own big, uh, huge trucks and all the rest of it, and they're, they're armed. Um, all these agencies always win. They're the guys that win. So youngsters are growing up in an atheistic society where their old cultural values have gone. The things that give a common shared morality have all gone. Uh, their morality now is winners and losers, like the video, video games. And they want to become one of the winners. And the winners always either have a badge or they wear that black outfit covered in armor with a big gun. And they come in in swarms. Uh, they, they're never individual. It's not a one-on-one fight. You're with a swarm and there's safety in the swarm. And, and you're on the winning side, you always win. You come in with what they call in the army and in the, the SWAT teams now, overwhelming force. And so the, the message to the public watching that is, or youngsters especially, oh, they're the winning team, they can't lose, and, and the guy that they're after, the civilian, doesn't have a chance in hell, which he doesn't. That's the overwhelming message. This is all deliberate, and it's repetitive, repetitive through all these fictional uh, things that you watch, where it's a drama series, or, or, or movies. This is all intentional to make you, to make you simply surrender, give up, uh, and do what you're told, or die. Yeah, I, I mean, talking about the Star Wars movie, interesting enough, uh, the, the Darth Vader character was obviously all in black, but all the soldiers were dressed in white, and it was it was like uh, there was an old movie, I think it was called Shane, I think, where the the, he, the anti-hero was dressed in in black, and the the good guy was uh, sorry, the bad guy was dressed in white or something. And yeah. uh, it's 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 almost like it's um, it's set there to confuse you. You think, well, they're, they're dressed in white; they must be the good guys, you know. Yeah. And, and the only one you see who's dressed in black is the is the head guy. Uh, but he's got superpowers, so um, you know he must be all right as well, kind of thing. But um, that's right. 
and and everybody wants to be that guy. You know, they want to to be able to to bend people to their will, as it were. That's right. In the nineties, I can remember uh, I lived a bit further south in Ontario, and in a little spud town, a potato town. Uh, that's how it survived. It was just surrounded by farms and grew potatoes. And I can remember one day seeing four policemen. You never saw policemen in this place who looked like models. And they're, they're walking abreast, going down the sidewalk in this town. And they, they, for the first time, they had changed from the, the blue and sky blue uh, shirts that the, the cops used to wear here uh, into this complete black outfit, including black shirt, black tie, uh, and the, 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 the army boots on with the trousers t- tucked in the boots. And I, I looked at them walking down there, and they're all kind of jovial, and like, unlike the, the general policeman, you know. But uh, which you, who at least you could approach, uh, they weren't so formidable and intimidating looking. And then I saw it in the, the local paper, and they wondered if anybody had noticed anybody had noticed um, these these guys walking down because they, they were parading to familiarise the new uniform to the general public. It said, and I must admit when I saw them walking down the street, I looked around to see if anybody else was watching, and they were not. And I realized then they, were, they had already become acclimatized to seeing these kind of outfits on SWAT teams from American movies and drama series, uh, like, like NYPD Blue. Uh, so uh, it had already worked on the public without this little demonstration, but for, for an observer's point of view, it worked awfully well, because I'm sure most of them didn't give it a second thought. They, they, most folk don't reason through things today, because they're already pre-programmed to, to, to decide what they're seeing. The programming is deciding what you're seeing before you actually reason your way through it. It's all uh, this copious stuff from universities and all this stuff, behaviorism, and how they've already conditioned the public for every step in advance of the actual events happening. Yeah. Um, just a, a, the, um, after the war, I mean, obviously now, now they come back and they're, they're completely traumatized as they would have been back then. But uh, after the war, these young guys would have come back and uh, they didn't have the drugs available to them uh, that they do now. Uh, so, I mean, what happened to those guys? I mean, I know a lot of them did stay in the army for a while, but um, the ones that came out, I mean, how, how were they treated? Uh, the ones that came back, they didn't have the, so much of the same problems because they were not, even in World War II, told to simply exterminate people, the enemy. Today's army is vastly different. As I say, you into free fire zones, and you go into through whole through whole villages for Lujan, but five other ones went in one after the other. They were not fighting them, and uh, and, and just rounded up young guys and shot them. It was an, it's execution style. That's the difference. It's going against something which is not normal to human nature. That's why they have to be drugged today. In World War Two, you saw your enemy. They're firing at you. You're firing at them. A clear distinction, but when they surrendered, you accepted the surrender. You know. Yeah, well, I mean, you you don't really hear about uh, troops surrendering anymore because uh, I, don't, I don't suppose there's uh, there's anybody close by to take them prisoner. Uh, it's all... uh, they don't want prisoners now. Uh, they uh, actually um, back in the nineties and, and even before that, in various uh, U.S. publications to do with the, the military, they discussed creating the, not just a robo kind of, of soldier the cyber soldier, but also the one that was a pharma soldier. Lots of drugs to alter their, their, their normal responses to make them the more efficient killers. 
And the, the drugs they concentrated on, uh, as I say, would blunt the affect, the, no, the normal emotional response and then to, to, to saving someone or helping or forgiving someone. And that way, it was so much easier to kill people when you're walking around in a kind of fugue state. You're, uh, it's just like a video game. You're in a fugue state. There's the enemy, shoot, bang, dead. Uh, and that's that. So uh, a lot of neuroscience uh, scientists have been working on this. Massive money in it. Massive amounts of money given to the top neuroscientists to, to dehumanize the public and with using the behaviors as well and, and more of methods to, to, to basically make them go against natural, in fact, to completely obliterate natural instincts, which are not to simply kill people unless your life is absolutely threatened. You know, That's all been successfully done. Fiction was the greatest method of all because children soak it up like crazy. Uh, we know the Xboxes and all the rest of it are completely addictive I've read the articles on the air, uh, on RBN, and even some before that on Sweet Liberty and other ones. I've read the articles out uh, from the military uh, discussing this very thing, how successful they were and, and uh, basically bringing this type of uh, technique to the, to the youth who are growing up with it and who are already uh, trained to kill without thinking. Yeah, I mean, back in back when I was young, we, we had the... Uh, I think it was called the Victor, the, the, the magazine, the well, comic, sorry, and uh, publications like that. And we had our, you know, the plastic, the plastic soldiers that came in a bag, and there was about forty of them or something. And you get, you get ones different colours, so they were opposing armies, and you threw marbles at them, and you knocked them over, and that kind of thing. And that was as far as it went. There was no blood and gore. There was none of that, and uh, you grew out of it. You just, you know, you had enough of that. You went on to something else. Um, but as you say, the, the, the video games, they've started them at a younger, younger age, um, introducing uh, the, the violence uh, on, on a, a very basic level. Maybe it's, maybe it's Tom and Jerry type of stuff, yeah. but, but um, there's still people getting hit with hammers. Still, still are, but definitely when they brought in the video games, which are addictive, I read all the, the stuff from the Pentagon that, that said these were designed for the military. And they were all for the public, the youngsters being trained in that. See, they wanted a, a generation around 1990 uh, and onwards that would be, that'd be brought up on video games who were already ready to go in and just kill when they were told to kill. And so they created it because they had all these wars to fight across the Middle East and in Asia and so on. So they had to prepare a generation for that, which they did off look successfully. And a lot of this came from their own writings, by the way, from the Pentagon, you know, admitting this. Yeah. It's quite amazing. When I was uh, when I was young, I used to get fed up hearing my parents say, "You know, when I was young, it was never like this." You know, and now now I'm at that stage myself. But I, I look back and I think, "How did this happen?" You know, yeah. and uh, and but having said that, the people around you, uh, my own generation, as it were, who have no idea what's going on, just just can't even remember what it used to be like. They can't remember. Uh... That was part of the conditioning process that's been incredibly well done, I must admit, uh, that Bertrand Russell talked about and many others that, that worked full-time to create the new Western culture, including mass promiscuity and so on. He also worked with the groups in the U.S., the Macy Group and the Frankfurt School, to bring in uh, massive, let's say massive promiscuity, separate the, the emotional bonding from the sexual act which they've done awfully successfully too, but also to make people narcissistic. So they, the, the little world would revolve around them. They'd think about themselves far, far more than other people. That's been terribly successful. 
And he says, when, they, when they're like that, they'll, they'll simply obey to keep all the goodies that they have, uh, and, and they wouldn't risk losing them. So they'll, they'll stay in their own little circle, their little bubble of happiness, and they don't want to know about the rest of the world and what's happening, etc. Then the state moves in, you understand. Don't forget that the state system where it was designed, uh, all these services, even police services, now a police authority or a force. Lenin said this, he says, the West will have all these, these agencies start up, these, these uh, um, volunteered to start with a lot of agencies. They'll become uh, services, and eventually they'll become authorities. And he mentioned the health service would become a health authority, mandate inoculations, etc. And eventually mandate sterilizations, which they did in Britain and across the U.S. The U.S. was still sterilizing what they called mentally uh, subnormal back to, and right up to the 19, through 1970s. And so eugenics was all a big, big part of this whole darn thing. And for the rest of the public, they were to be dehumanized as, uh, and not to come in to aid their fellow man. Because once you were narcissistic, living in your little bubble, you were, you were disassociated from all your friends around about you. They're, they're simply uh, friends that you get something from or something like that. But they were not real friends as such. This is the, the society they wanted to bring in. And they said, going back to the 1920s, H.G. Uh, Wells, in a couple of his non-fictional books, working for the Fabian Society, which is just a branch, by the way, to run the left wing on behalf of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. They, they run all, all sides of it. He said uh, that, uh, apart from the, the breaking the bonds, the emotional bonds for, and, and separating the sex uh, and the bond from the act itself, he also said the same thing, that eventually government's goal, and he was all for this, was so that they can talk down to you, the individual, and no one will stand up to help you around you. They'll all be afraid of their own little luxuries being taken away if they get involved, things like that. Um, and, and so they won't risk anything to come to your aid. You're on your own. There will be no family around you either that will stand up for you. Uh, today, what do you hear, for instance, a person gets broke, they lose their job, uh, their own family members will say, oh, go to the government services, go get welfare. They won't help them out, you see. They've all been trained. Uh, if the child has a, some kind of abnormality, I'll let the government deal with that, put them in a home. Uh, so the services now become authorities, and they're so happy to take more responsibility because it gives them more authority over you. But they were all designed from the beginning uh, to eventually to become authorities, including the police force, by the way. You know, it's all been it's all been achieved. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to talk about. Um, we'll go to a piece of music first, uh, and talk, come back and talk about the the kind of the enemy we have, the so so called enemy we've got now, in the in the Muslim world, because uh, I, I, I they they still seem to have some humanity, uh, and they're still very um, tight knit in terms of family um, relationships and all the rest of it. And I, I I lived in Turkey for a while many years ago, and I see what's happening in Turkey now. And I, I begin to wonder if that uh, that was set up a long time ago. They, they divided that country into east and west. They westernised the, the western seaboard there, all the way around as far as uh, Ankara, really. And yeah. the, the rest of it is uh, is is basically um, a Vietnam going on there. With the, there's a incessant war going on there. But um, no, we'll come we'll come back and talk about that and um, how propaganda is being used to try and um, take away their humanity, if you like. Yeah. Um, so we've got a piece of a piece of music, Steve, and uh, we'll come back after that.
Rally at Nights Radio on the 15th of May 2014 uh, with our guest Alan Watt. Um, we're talking there during the break about uh, the the way that our enemies are, are created for us. And I, I spent a bit of time in Turkey and there was, um, well there still is, a, a war going on there in the eastern side of that country. And I used to see guys coming from eastern Turkey to western Turkey for work and they were they were a, a different people altogether, but even the ones from the, the west of Turkey who actually were conscripted at that time and sent over to, to fight in, in what was uh, called over there um, Turkish the Turkish Vietnam. Uh, it was so horrific. Um, they would come back uh, in an awful state. Uh, they weren't physically injured, but uh, they were certainly um, mentally injured. And uh, I, I watched people in, in nightclubs um, basically biting through their own tongues. was also, I know a lot of people who did move to Britain from Bulgaria, and it's mainly young people, and they can't get work there because since the collapse and all the rest of it, uh, uh, the money that the EU, all the millions and millions of euros that the EU have, have put into uh, Bulgaria never reached the people for to create work. It doesn't happen. It goes into the old uh, Politburo uh, bosses who still run the country, and, and they're in cahoots with the banks, but you also have a complicated factor. Uh, a lot of the big Russian uh, mafia mobs, we call, we'll call them mafia to be safe, but the mobs of Russia uh, that cl- helped to, they were helped, they helped to cl- collapse Cyprus and the bail-in came in and all that kind of stuff. They were putting the money there too. They've also put it in, into the big banks. Uh, they're spreading the banks out. They're proliferating in Bulgaria for that purpose. They're sinking a lot through there. Thinking it will be safer because of the U.S. bases going in there and, and have gone in with the missiles that are aimed at Russia. So, uh, there's a lot of finagling going on, but the fact, the problem is, uh, there's so much natural corruption there because it was corrupt all through the communist era with the Politburo bosses that lived like kings, a lot of them, and uh, and they're still uh, in the same positions today under uh, under social democrats, etc. That's the term they're using now. Same bunch in the public don't you see the money? So there's no work for the young folk, and as you know, there's, there's houses all over Bulgaria like just, just walk away and leave them vacant. Because there's no way there's no way they can earn money to live, and so they're moving out, of course. Which again, I think, is part of the agenda as well. It's deliberate. Yeah. They're certainly um, killing the villages. I know we're getting off topic, but um, mm-hmm. they're certainly um, killing the villages there. Um, yeah, by just that, that methodology, uh, the young people are leaving on on mass, really, 
And yeah. uh, I would I would say your average village has probably got about um, 25 to 30% of the homes empty. That's right, all over the country, yeah. Yeah, and there's even whole villages empty. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so, uh, <laughs> anybody wants to know what Agenda 21 looks like and uh, what's coming to a town near you soon, uh, you know, that's it. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's the way it's going. And uh, I, I hear a lot of young people over there who, who actually, they're, they're quite clued up. Mm-hmm. Um, they're quite aware of what's going on because uh, they still have generations in their family who can warn them what it looks like. That's one thing that has stuck through. We forget, too, a lot of the people who lived through that whole era under the communist regimes, they were Orthodox Christian, Eastern Orthodox, a lot of them. And they, because I'm in touch with some today, and uh, and they kept their own little secret services, private services going, you might say, for, for religious things in their own homes. Every town... It's very much like total information awareness network we have across the West now. In fact, that's, they copied a lot of that from the Soviet system. So these folk who lived in Bulgaria and elsewhere, Czechoslovakia, had to have these private little meetings to celebrate their particular religion. Because in every town and village, they, there were private snoops working for the, for the secret services that would shop them. The only difference was most of the folk in, in Bulgarian villages knew who the particular one was in their, their village. So they, they'd watch him as much as he watched them. So they could do these little things. But along with it came their morality. They, they, they carried that natural old morality along with them too, to help each other out. And that's so vitally important. We, we forget that because we're not given that side of the story. When things were terrible there uh, and uh, starvation came along every so often in the Soviet systems, often on purpose, we saw them starving out uh, Hungary, uh, places like that. Uh, six or seven million people died uh, on the deliberate policy of starving the people out. As, he sold, as Stalin sold the, the grain abroad uh, at that time. Um, we forget that's been done across the whole Soviet system, including China. Mao Zedong did the same thing there. Deliberate policy. And folk that survived often survived because they still had something that kept them bonded together. In other words, a common culture. Uh, and, and, and we forget, uh, two of most common cultures have some form of religion, no matter what nation or type it is. They have something that holds them together and, and keeps their humanity intact so they can survive. In the West, we've lost all of that until it's dog-eat-dog. In fact, in the West, uh, the guy who gets to the top by any means possible, doesn't matter how vicious he's, uh, he's been, he, he, he's lauded and approved by the general uh, population right down to the bottom level. The... the they treat them like the kings because they've got so wealthy. That's what the West uh, worships is wealth. You know, that's what they worship. And and you might say their religion in, in the West, especially in the U.S., is actually politics. You know. Yeah, well, I mean, over, over there, the, the people, I'm talking about Bulgaria now again, uh, the people are generally happy uh, with the law. I mean, they don't have enough uh, to get by half the time, but they'll still give you some. It's not just happiness. It's a natural. The thing is, you can be happier, more. You're not so neurotic when you have a common culture that will help each other out, and you know that it's a safety net. You see, uh, we don't have it in the West anymore. Everything's left up to government agencies, and so they're the big boss for everything. Uh, but over in those countries, the folk have had a common culture and a common decency came out in that culture where they really, really would help each other through in all the villages to keep folk alive, you know. Yeah, well, I've actually seen that because, uh, I mean, people in the UK, 
you know, when they, when they hear about um, Bulgarians, Romanians uh, and the, the national press here, just think of them all as um, scrounging parasites, as it were. Mm-hmm. But um, if, if they spent, uh, you know, a winter in a Bulgarian village, they'd, they'd soon find out um, what these guys have to put, put up with. Yeah. Uh, I, I know one, one chap who died uh, in his home, and he was in his 60s. He had, he had no glass in his windows. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's how poor he was. He, he couldn't afford a, a bed or, or anything. Yeah. And um, there's, there's no um, welfare system there. And, and we basically, you know, people tried to help him out as much as they could, but um, it, was, it was, you know, he had his pride and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that was um, that was the end of him. But uh, people just don't, they, they look at these pictures on the television and think, oh, that's quaint. Yeah. They've got some chickens and some pigs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they think it's an easy life. Yeah. And uh, they have no idea. They have no idea, and, and they forget, too, there's also, also their own little mafia that run them all through the Soviet and the present system as well. Still runs it today, you know. Absolutely. Uh, and I know people t- today who have been attacked by these uh, particular goons who will come in if you have a few pigs sometimes and they'll just grab them and off they go. And that's it. there's nothing you can do about it because you know who they are and they're, they're, they're monsters if they come after you. Oh, yeah. Well, I told you the little story off there, there uh, during the break. Well, you, you don't mess with some people and that's it. But, um,. Uh, they have their own control system, of course. Uh, you, you drive into a, a gypsy encampment, and they're all enclosed. It's almost, it's almost like a concentration camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've got uh, a, a very large house at one end of it uh, with guys sitting outside there with shotguns. Yeah. And that's that's who runs it all. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. That's the way it is. Uh, as I say, we've got a little bit of pocket there. I mean, do you do you think that there there is any hope that uh, people will actually get their humanity back? Or, I mean, is, is there any, any way of reversing uh, what's clearly remember, happened? But we've got to remember that, that, that no countries have had so much war on the general populations as the Western countries. This was the whole intention of the Frankfurt School that was given authority along with the Macy School. Uh, that Russell was a member of both, Bertrand Russell, as well as UNESCO and so on. He was a member of all these groups. Uh, and worked with all the behaviorists of the day to bring in a new... And they were given authority, these groups, working collectively to bring in a brand new culture for the Western countries. They had to get rid of, of his, their religious stance. That was one mandate. Uh, they had to become uh, almost secular humanists. That was to be the, the, the new religion brought in uh, by the United Nations, still is, by the way. And uh, it's been awfully, awfully successful today where folk are quite content in their world, believing that if they ever need that safety net, they don't go to your friends if they've got any at all, uh, or family, they, they go to this, the government agency that they think is going to help them often to get an awful shock, because it, it doesn't work the way that they say it works. But uh, the government now is the total boss over every aspect of your life. That was part of it, and the old family structures have been almost, almost eradicated you know, almost. There's still that remnant within some families of strong ties and, and, and good luck to them because you'll really need them. Uh, the folk who don't have that are, are literally on their own if anything nasty happens to them personally. Yeah. That was always the intention of this system, to make the government the top boss. And that's why George Orwell in his 1984 book had the screen in every home and the screens attached was, was, comes, came right from Big Brother, all the bureaucrats, and even your, your mandatory keep fit instructors came on every morning. It could talk right to you, number so-and-so, Smith, you know. Stand up straight, touch your toes. Blah, blah. Uh, that would be it. You couldn't turn around to anybody to help you, friends, family or anything. It was all gone. 
and that's almost been achieved. You understand that this was, they called it total war. Total meant the destruction of all that was to bring in the new. And that's been very successfully done in the Western countries. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I just uh, reread Fahrenheit 451 uh, recently. And, of course, you, you have the, the, the full wall television sets in that as well. And the, the, state, the status symbol was to have one on every wall. And interactive as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah you were interacting with uh, soap operas before soap operas were even, even heard of and uh, before yeah. television was even heard of. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it really is hard to see how it can be reversed. But um, I, I suppose we've got to hope for the best that there, there are people coming through who who don't take the indoctrination. I mean, I know it's, uh, it's almost impossible to avoid it. but um... It's almost impossible today. In fact, um, again, you, you always go back to the masters who set up the, the present cultural system and changes in the cultural system that have yet to be implemented because they were doing it in stages. But most of them are dead now. These guys dra- drafted up the whole uh, era to come uh, post-World War II, uh, the 60s, uh, counter-revolution, etc., uh, revolution, all the different revolutions. They, they planned the sexual revolution, the feminist revolutions, uh, and so on, all the way down, uh, uh, including, by the way, they were completely integrated with the fashion industry, believe it or not, because you would have all these, these are all part of culture, uh, and so on, and, and the music industry, to bring in a brand new culture where government would be in total control, experts, uh, this is the Club of Rome, by the way, if you go into their writings. This is what they were working with, too, and they also worked with Bertrand Russell. So they were to bring in this brand-new culture where the state and all of its agencies would be the bosses from birth to death of every individual under their system. And that's what Gearfect's about in Scotland. They have other ones in England, much similar. They brought one into the States. It's kind of similar. And and so it's to be a unified culture eventually across the whole world, wide world, uh, a complete new system, a complete new system for the world. A world order means a world order, and that's what they're, they're, they've been working with, with eventually. A common, common uh, culture across the planet will come out of eventually after all the different riots of, of ethnic clashes. And these guys work in, in intergenerationally. They don't say we've got to get done in our time. They can do it two, three, four, five generations down the roads. That's what the foundations were set up to do. And uh, there's a great book out, it's called The Foundations, Their Power and Influence. Uh, it was written about all the, what you think of as the non-profit organizations of the big Rockefeller, Carnegie, Ford, uh, and all the ones in Britain as well, uh, that were to, to be a parallel government and then be the government, because the ones who set up these foundations would be the bosses of international corporations, one and the same thing. That's why Bill Gates, who's never elected to anything, has so much power in the world and over countries. Uh, and so on. That's why those big, big boys in the Club of Rome have so much power in what they say, and all their stuff gets used at the United Nations. The United Nations is also uh, the embryo for, for, for the centralization of world government, even though none of us have ever voted to get to set up and started to, uh, on the go to begin with, never mind a vote to see who gets in. Completely undemocratic, you see. And the same with the, with, the, with, the, with the trading blocks where eventually the CEOs, the corporations who also run the big foundations that run all the NGOs and fund them all, shape the direction of the whole world that it's traveling in. They give all the, the, the funding to universities, etc. And along with the funding comes the mandates, what to teach and what not to teach. So they can direct the whole shape and, and future of the minds of all those who are growing up 
and, and, and so they're prepared for their part in the world, even if they don't understand it till it happens. Uh, it's a perfect uh, scientifically organized system, this. And this is the world they wanted to, to be run by experts from cradle to grave, and it's, it's worked very well up until now. What you see with the problems in society is simply the chaos and the clashes of old systems versus new systems. Uh, the old systems are always uh, dropping off because they can't fight it. They don't have the finances even to fight it, never mind the time. Uh, and the authorities make it quite plain that nothing's going to stand in their way. They're going to get what they want. Again, overwhelming force. Overwhelming force doesn't, doesn't simply mean police come at you on combat gear. It also means uh, that there are other legal departments of government and state will come against you and they'll make you bankrupt and put you into poverty, etc., etc. They'll make life unbearable for you. That's also part of overwhelming force, total war. So all these aspects are being used today to train the public into the ideal obedient citizen of, uh, that they want for the, for, the, for the present and the near future, definitely the near future. Yeah, well, what's what's happening in Britain tomorrow is uh, the first debate in Parliament, which which just happens to uh, coincide with the last day of the current session, which they brought uh, forward by a week. Uh, just last week, they decided to give themselves an extra week's holiday. Um, is the the National Service Bill that's getting debated in Parliament tomorrow, and uh, nobody's going to have any right to reply on it, I'm sure. Um, but that that coincides with a program that's already in place called the National Citizen Service Program. Right. for 16 to 19 year olds and yeah. uh, one, one of my colleagues son um went on it as a as a volunteer well, as a volunteer um to, to do a bit of research for his, his mum and basically it's a it's a boot camp and they have um alsatian dogs come into the dormitory and sniff mm-hmm. through all their um their belongings mm-hmm. uh their their um that their billets if you want to call them in military terms anyway um Everything's searched. The clothes are searched. Uh, the the private baggage is searched, and um, they're just. And that's for 16 to 19 year olds. And the national service bill is uh, for 19 to 25 year olds. So it's it's all fallen into place. It's fallen into place, and they keep pushing through the same bill in the U.S. It's exactly the same bill uh, for either work abroad or at home, uh, for to serve the country, as they call it. Uh, but it's also to train a generation. Out, out, out of the ones they train for this, they'll select the ones that really go for it, they really like it, and they'll, they'll, they'll select them to be the new overseers in the little areas of communitarianism for the future, the, 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 the big plan, of course, that Cameron keeps prattling on about. Because eventually you have to, you have to live in your little communitarian area with appointed... Just like this, see, what you're living in is, is, is the, the goal that the Soviet Union never reached... Where, where, you, where Soviet means rule by councils, remember. But these councils were not elected. They were appointed. The leaders were all appointed. And, and this is the new system, uh, that, uh, that the great plan, the great work, uh, the, the great society, all the terms they're using in Britain is about. And so these, these, these people will be little fanatics, little major domos, and they've gone through their little national service thing. They've been picked because they'll really like it. Uh, the, the, they adapt to authoritarianism very well. They like authoritarianism. They like to give out authority, and these are the ones that will make your, your major domos over you. Yeah, yeah that, I, going back to Bulgaria, the, the, the thing that's already actually happening there again. Uh, they're having these um, these people in the villages kind of going around um, exerting some kind of authority, which uh, they were never elected to do. Um, but 
you know, that's uh, it, at least people there still recognise it for what it is, and they're, they're actually warning yeah, their children. They, they, know, they know exactly what it is. It's just the West. The West are totally blinded. They don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Because they haven't had that before. They haven't had your neighbours being dragged off in the middle of the night by the goon squad. You know. Yeah, well, uh, t- talking about um, people being dragged off in the middle of the night, uh, Robert Robert Green is, is still in prison uh, after, what, three months now? Um, on no charges, really. Um, and he's uh, up for bail again tomorrow, which uh, is unlikely he'll get it. But um, anybody who wants to write to him, um, I've got his prisoner number and his address um, somewhere, but uh, I'll, I'll post it up here possibly tomorrow or something. But uh, yeah, I mean, they are they are actually taking people off the street. I think there was another case yesterday. I was speaking to somebody, um, somebody who'd um, reported um, paedophilia, uh, a mother and a daughter, and uh, both of them were just taken away. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Yes, uh, uh, it's interesting too which which stories they will publish to make sure you get a point, a point that sinks into our heads, and all of the stuff that they will never publish, of course, you know. Because in reality, government is that they've got an awful lot of time and trouble to, through propaganda and indoctrination techniques and through schooling to give us all a fake impression of what government is all about. And uh, this was well covered by Adam Curtis, by the way, uh, especially through the television, the BBC, etc., and how it operated and why it operated the way it did. He did also The Power of Nightmares, well worth watching, that series, where he used a lot of footage that's never been shown in the public before of how they decided what was good for the public, bad for the public. But basically his series completely affirmed what Jacques Alul, the philosopher in France, uh, what he said about propaganda. He says, all television shows to do with the state exercising force to keep the public order, the public good, all of that. He says, all dramas and fiction are complete propaganda, a well-understood technique amongst behaviorists. Another one, too, is for the becoming pharmacological control of the general population. Gradually accepting them that taking pills is normal, start them off at childhood, pick the brighter ones at school, and dumb them down to an extent until they're in a fugue state once again, they can't operate properly, and they go through life on pills. We know that a lot of these pills, these, especially the, 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 the amphetamine types that they give them uh, for, for children, prescribed ones, uh, shrink their brain. We know that. It's a physical effect. And uh, well documented, too. It can be, cannot be disproven. It's not an iffy thing. It happens. And they pick the brightest children to ask all the right questions, and, and they attack them right there and then. To, and that ties in with what Russell said about the bright children of the future. He says, we'll have to eliminate them. Well, they've done it awfully successfully. They also said that, that some children could, could, in previous years, before the 40s, could slip through their nets. But not anymore at school because they give them so many tests and so much neuroscientists pour over all these little tests and, and their scores and so on. They know exactly what it means and they can give a complete, complete readout on this child's personality. Uh, what, what he'll go for, what he won't go for, what he'll go along with and what he will not go along with, etc. And they're all marked down precisely for scientific control of the population. This is what all of this is about, folks. Most folk don't reason. They do, they do not reason uh, the news out for themselves. They get downloaded with bits and bytes of it in repetition, repetition all the time, bits and bytes from this news station, that news station, 
and they don't think through it, but it sort of congeals and comes together in their head in the way that it's intended. But they've never reasoned through things. They simply adopt the opinion that they're left them with. Uh, and it's a scientific technique that works awfully, awfully well. You're left with your opinions that become yours. And so much so that you would see the guys in the bars fighting over opinions that actually they've never reasoned through in their lives. Yeah. I, I, it struck me that that's why the um, the social services are now claiming that um, not to vaccinate your child is uh, a cause for neglect. And uh, they're coming after them because if they can't get the vaccines in them, then they might actually start thinking for themselves later on in life. But um, That's right. That's uh, and I think it was Jacques Lull again in the the book Propaganda. He said that um, all propaganda has to be um, from every source continuous. It can't be allowed to to stop. Um, if it stops, then the chain will be broken. Uh, actually, they've got a term for it. They've got a term for it, and you'll you'll see it often uh, in the treaties they sign up uh, from the Council on Foreign Relations, which is simply the American branch of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. And uh, these are the guys who drafted up. They, they were the guys put in charge. They drafted up. They put themselves in charge. They're, they're unelected, <laughs> private organization. They put themselves in charge. They drafted up all the treaties and the signatory stuff and the structure for the integration of the whole of Europe. They did the same thing for the NAFTA agreement uh, for the integration of the Americas. And they came out on television in Canada and admitted it, by the way, for the first time in, in 2005. They came out as the Council on Foreign Relations uh, for, for, for Canada and the States and Mexico and admitted they drafted up the charter for all of these, or these free trade agreements, which means amalgamation of all your systems together down the road incrementally. But I noticed an article recently, and what they said in it was, now that free trade has been institutionalized, that's the term they used where the repetition that you're talking about uh, is everyday language. Folk accept it without questioning it or even reasoning through it. It's just there like gravity. It's a normal thing. Now that, now that we've got free trade uh, rationalized and, and, and it's institutionalized in everyday uh, uh, business and conversation, we'll go to the next step, which is uh, and the, not just the, the Pacific Rim uh, agreement trading with the Pacific Rim and so on, Pacific countries, but also with the whole of Europe, again, tightening that bond with the trade with, with Europe, which is the integration of all your economic policies, which eventually leads to all your all your criminal and non-criminal policies in, uh, in, in uh, legalistic terms, because that's, that's how countries are defined. by You're defined by your economic system. When you go into law school, that's what they'll teach you there. Your country is defined, and all of its laws are defined by your economic system of imports, exports, manufacture, and so on. The value of human life comes down to what could this person that you murdered have produced in their life for this company and the taxes they would have treated for the government to collect. And that's how your punishment comes along, is decided upon, that your financial value to the system. No kidding. So once you start integrating all your trade agreements, which eventually get, get, get systems built in to deal with, with a new uh, 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 economic branch, dealing not, with nothing but trade in every country, then they're dealing with each other, then it broadens out into the wider society. That's how the European Union and its new parliament came to be, which the boys who set it up knew it would be eventually anyway. <laughs> it's quite amazing. So people have no idea how, how their world really works. But again, it's done through propaganda. I mean, you've lived through, I'm sure, all of the... Uh, are you, what, should, should we vote for the, for the European Union or not? For you've seen it over and over, and people keep saying, no, we don't want it, we don't want it. And, but they got it regardless. 
And they kept telling you the same propaganda that they use in Canada and they're using in Mexico and, and they use, they're using for the Trans-Pacific Partnership, etc. Oh, if you don't join, you'll be left behind. We've all seen that too. And look at the mess Europe is, is in with this massive, incredible financial debt because of it all. Look at the deindustrialization. All the factories have gone to China because that was all set up by the Royal Institute for International Affairs. By the way, they set up the World Trade Organization, the IMF, and the Bank for International Settlements. These are all privately owned by this group. So why do people bother voting when non-governmental bodies dictate the policies, including the treaties, all your trade agreements, and your integrations into trading blocks? Why do you bother voting for these politicians that spout jobs, 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 education and healthcare at election time when these guys have got nothing to do with it? And, and law and order, of course. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we're supposed to um, vote for these uh, creeps next Thursday uh, for the European Parliament again. Uh, yeah. A European Parliament which costs us £55 million a day. And uh, if we didn't pay it for one year... We wouldn't have this uh, bogus national debt in the first place. Uh, but if folk were to stop voting altogether, that'd be a start. Yeah, exactly. Why, why participate in this scam? Well, it's actually it's actually illegal to um, pay taxes to a government which is illegally paying taxes to an organisation which doesn't produce accounts. That's right. It's actually illegal. It's actually illegal to to, to claim or demand taxes from a citizen uh, from a corporate body that doesn't have anybody's signature on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, if only if uh, only more people just uh, step back and uh, just stop paying up, um, the world well, we might be a better place. To. Well, we know what we have to do or what folk have to do, but the fact is nobody is going to do it. Because, again, they've done a thousand odd studies. They, they do thousands of them every year on all of us uh, and all the different think tanks and they publish them in all, all, all these different institutes across the planet. To see how many folk would stand up for this and stand up for this particular thing or that particular thing. And they know that the, the, the society is so fragmented. They know that the ones at the bottom always get hurt first, naturally. Uh, when, they, when they stand up, they either are totally ignored or they end up in riots. Riots are easy to control. Uh, the middle classes uh, pretend that the, their, their little bubble is going to go on forever. And they don't squeal until they actually get hit personally and they can't afford things, etc., etc. That's when they start squealing. And the, and the ones that are trying to emulate the upper classes have nothing in common with them whatsoever. Uh, they, see, they see you as the same peasant as they see in China. They don't care. All the peasants are the same to them. And they have a, their reality is, is totally different uh, than is portrayed on the fictional television, etc. So they know that no one will stand up in unison for what should be done and, and has to be done if you want to save anything at all in society or allow your children to literally be turned into pharmacological robots uh, and you're maybe yourself as well down the road with your soma to keep you happy. This is what it's all about. This is, this is the new system. The Club of Rome, in their book, was called The First Global Revolution. Uh, it, it said in it that democracy doesn't work. However, they've always used the term democracy from the United Nations and so on as they want to con conquer other countries to bring them all into the same system. So you have a, a facade of what people think is democracy and, and, and what the, the facade of that they think they got rights to. But in reality, the, the Club of Rome said, uh, there are too many factions all competing for power. There could never be any harmony. Therefore, a, an authoritarian system must be introduced to run scientifically. And they were simply reiterating, reiterating George H.G. Uh, Wells and many others before him. 
uh, on the same system. What you're seeing now is a training into authoritarianism. And you'll notice too, I've noticed this, that the general um, news, for instance, uh, 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 since the, the Levison inquiry and, uh, and the bill went forward by Levison, Lord Levison in Britain, uh, it kind of muzzled a lot of journalists. There's less speculation about uh, impersonal opinions by journalists now. You get more trivia churned out than ever before. At the same time, you had the Finkelstein inquiry in Australia, who also turned out the big bill there, massive thousands of page bills for, to, to cut, muzzle the, the, the media in, in Australia. I think Canada's done it too. So all the British Commonwealth countries went along with it at the same time. And what you're seeing in the news now is nothing but absolute propaganda and trivia. Trivia. Uh, and all the, the, the news you get uh, is about over there somewhere, but not what's happening right in your own backyard. You, get, you may get that in a local paper about petty crime and things like that, but nothing major about what your governments are actually up to. And you'll notice, too, there's less and less of, of uh, the politicians coming out and saying things as they try to get you conditioned, and they're doing it very well. This is a conditioning process for the public to gradually accept the fact not to expect statements from the actual politicians that you think you elect. And, and what you get is announcements simply from governmental departments. These, this is a new authoritarian system they're training you into. Uh, for the future, you'll, you'll simply accept the fact there's a power structure above you. It's run by some kind of special experts out of special wombs. And you just go out and play and work hard and, and, and pay your taxes and be good uh, and don't concern yourself with it. That's the system they're bringing in right now as we live. And it's very obvious. Yeah, yeah what, what I've noticed, we, we were down in uh, down at Parliament on Budget Day um, trying to get some of these characters and we went down to Downing Street and there wasn't a politician anywhere. And the, yeah. even, the, even the police on the gate said, this is highly unusual. This just doesn't mm-hmm. happen. They, they, they were obviously told to stay away. And uh, as, I, as I say, we've got this um, this farce of an election next Thursday, and uh, I've yet to see anybody out in the street campaigning. They're just they've disappeared. Well, we don't really need them anymore. And again, that's, that's training the public uh, that, that it doesn't matter. They'll put their own boys in regardless and fake the numbers as they've done for an awful long time. Like Stalin says, I don't care who, who votes, only, only care about those that count the votes. And that's all rigged. So they'll carry the system on for a little while more. But, but they, ha- they are training the public not to even be concerned about it, that, that accept this new authoritarian system. Where, where, uh, they've already said, by the way, in the Pentagon, and in, in the publications of the CFR, accept it. Uh, anti-terrorism is going to go on forever. So anti-terrorism now covers every spectrum of law and order, and, and, and even civil law and so on, everything. Uh, this is a new rule for the future, for the rest of your lives and beyond. Yeah, that's what they've said. Well, of course, that, that was in 1984 as well. Um, you know, uh, terrorism, terrorism, terrorism. Okay, um, well, we've, we've kind of gone over a bit of time there, but um, thanks very much again, Alan, for your, your insights and your, your knowledge. And um, yes, I'm pleasure, sure we'll, yeah. we'll have you back next month or so again. Sure enough, yeah, it's been a pleasure. We'll get a few yeah. dates sorted out. Okay, um, we'll get a short piece of music and then we'll be back with uh, something on vaccines, I think. <laughs> 